Welcome back to the program. I'm going to begin by praying that Holy Spirit prayer from St. Augustine, and then I'm going to dive right into the interview. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may be all holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. Lord, I ask that you give us an intimate, personal relationship with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, prompt us today. Move in us. Anoint us to be able to be docile to your every leading and uh, truly uh, courageous and complete in our obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, without any further ado, let's dive into our interview today with Bishop Daly and Father Barnett. Well, I want to welcome to the program His Excellency Bishop Thomas Daly, the ordinary of the Diocese of Spokane, and Father Daniel Barnett, who is the rector of Bishop White Seminary. Uh, good morning, Your Excellency, and good morning, Father Barnett. Morning, Tom. Morning, Tom. So first of all, happy Advent. It's uh, great to have you on in this first week of Advent. And uh, just I'd love, love to know, uh, as, you, uh, as you, Bishop, and as you, Father Barnett, uh, approach Advent, is there anything in particular that you do? I've been talking about this on the, on the program, um, practices that people undertake um, as distinctive for their own Advent season and their own spiritual practice. Uh, Bishop, I'd love to hear from you and, and you, Father Barnett. Uh, is there anything that you specifically do as a special spiritual practice during the Advent season? Well, myself, I always say this. I prefer Advent um, much more than Lent. I, I don't like Lent, but I need Lent. But Advent, uh, <clears throat> everything from the... Um, from the time of the year, the weather, uh, the cold mornings, um, the darkness, it just, it lends itself to silence and to almost each day being more of a retreat than it is an act of penance. And um, for me in the morning, for example, on Tuesdays, I'm, I'm up at 4.30 because I have mass with the missionaries at charity at seven. So that earlier time than normal allows me to I have a series of four um, Advent reflections. Um, two of uh, those I read every year because I find something new. Uh, the others are seasonal publications that address the readings, um, the practice of Advent. Um, the ones that I um, read uh, every year, one's from a conventional Franciscan, uh, no longer alive, but it's just a series of walking with, with, um, with Jesus. And it gives scripture content, the time of Jesus with the prophet Isaiah saying, and um, uh, then the, you know, the birth of John the Baptist and the message of repent. And the other one is, is a series of reflections um, uh, based upon uh, St. Vincent de Paul. And, um, and I speak often of him, but they are Advent reflections um, in a Vincentian spirituality. So I find that um, I see, for me, Advent, to be um, almost a series of uh, days of recollection, as opposed to Lent, which uh, seems to, for me at least, is, is more of fasting, of um, ending into a more penitential uh, time of cleansing uh, before uh, Easter. And uh, again, I prefer the uh, retreat experience more the penit than the penance. Nice. Thank you. How about you, Father Barnett? For me, you know... Advent is obviously that time of preparation, and um, here at the seminary, it's it's also, especially at the beginning of it, is punctuated by sort of a heightened sense of activity from the academic side. You know, with all the seminarians and um, the finals week is looming, and and so dealing with that from a pastoral side as well as in the parishes, um, and and so for me, I. I I've encountering that I, I tried to really focus more on, on simplifying things. And so I, I'll, I'll tend to go through and try to find what is it that I need to get rid of um, and uh, sort start having a, a better examination, if you will, uh, um, not so much in the, in the penitential side as it is more in the sim simplification 
and just trying to clear things away. The more the <laughs> the more the society and, and and schedules and everything tend to increasingly beat down the doors and and with more sales and there's they've added every day that there's another you know this Cyber Monday and Giving Tuesday and something else Wednesday and Black Friday and um, I don't know if we've only got a couple more days before they start running out and figuring something else out to um, I find having to beat it back uh, takes a great effort to try to create a, a space in in the day um, and that so that that consumes a lot of time and trying to keep my eyes focused on the simplicity of the manger and um, and seeing the poor and 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 finding Christ, especially in, in the midst of all of this, that the world is throwing at us increasingly. And oh, I love that. You know, I think about um, what both of you have shared, Bishop and, and Father, are this like special moment of stewardship, right? This special way that a time calls forth a, a new level of response, a new level of being a steward of the lives that the Lord has given to us. And um, and I'm thrilled to have the two of you on today um, to talk about a new kind of stewardship that the diocese is undertaking, especially as it relates to the formation of men who are discerning a call to the priesthood. And uh, for me, that's super exciting that uh, there's this sense of, you know, that the need is there and the response we can take, but we need, we need others to walk with us in that. And what we're talking about is this new propedeutic phase of formation. That's a great word, by the way. And so uh, I'm going to just turn it over to either one of you to share about this new building project that is happening in relationship to Bishop White Seminary. Elder Barnett, why don't you take the beginning part of this? Okay. Um, so yeah, propedeutic is the first thing that gets people's name, uh, gets their attention, and usually they're trying to, we're trying to figure out how to spell it, and um, and what it means because it's not a, a usual word that in our lexicon. Um, it means basically introductory, if you will, and an initial integration phase, and it's it's this propedeutic phase of priestly formation has been mandated by Congregation for the Clergy. Um, a couple of years ago in 2016, the Holy Father revised what's called the Ratio Fundamentalis, the foundational guiding document of priestly formation um, that, that is the basis upon which all of the other countries in the world um, organize the priestly formation program. And so it's the foundation upon which the, what's called the PPF or the program of priestly formation, it's the foundation upon which that sits. And so there's been some fundamental shifts in that, adding a, a phase at the beginning of the priestly formation process. So right now when it starts, when a guy comes in and says, I think God's calling me to be a priest, he'll go to a, a seminary and he'll study philosophy and then he'll be um, moved on to study theology and normally a pastoral year and then be assigned to a parish after ordination. The, the Holy Father's changed that and... Um, that at the beginning part, and really it's, it's in response on a global scale to the changes in society and then the culture that have uh, affected, and I would say afflicted all of us, um, that so many things have been called into question or outright denied in the faith, in anthropology, and you know, what it means to be male and female, um, and what, what marriage is, and, and all of those things. And like it or not, we're all part of that cultural stew in which we all are, are swimming. And the young men that are coming into the seminary or discerning a vocation, it's hard to hear God's voice in that. It's always been hard to hear it, but it's beyond something like materialism. This, this affects the very foundations of, of life. And as we see the Christianity itself, the, the, the very fundamentals of Christianity are under attack and that, and there needs to be a, a new foundation. And so right at the beginning, otherwise we're building on sand, you know, and it's not by ill will necessarily, but there needs to be a solid foundation. And so that means that there needs to be a certain excavation, if you will, and to be able to reset the footings of a, of a solid spiritual life on a solid human formation, we call it. And so this propedeutic phase is a year of possibly two of 
preparation before a man goes and studies philosophy. And it's going to be devoted especially to what we call human formation and spiritual formation and that integration. Because what we need is a solid young man who can then ask the question in that year, is God calling me to discern the, uh, the priesthood? And then if that question is answered with a yes, then he goes on to seminary itself, which is the study of philosophy. And then he moves on to theology. But it provides that, if you can think of it in, in the terms of construction, we're shoring up uh, a ground that, need, that has been, you know, that has shifted and there's been an earthquake and there has been. <laughs> and there's also been a lot of erosion. Um, and so what this year is, is a additional year. And so what in, in practice, Bishop White Seminary is a, right now, it's a college seminary, four years of philosophy. We're morphing. We're changing into a three-year program. And our first year program is becoming what's called Core Christi, the, the heart of Christ. And it will be that propedeutic phase, which will provide a stronger foundation for men to come in who can then um, study philosophy and theology. One of the things that, um, again, with Father Barnett, in this, um, he's led this uh, implementation um, for the college level. Uh, our men, when they're ready for theology, um, go to St. Patrick's Seminary in Menlo Park. They too have to implement a propedeutic year. So the age group that Bishop White in our uh, program at McGivney Hall, we're calling in the new building, um, will be for the young man out of high school or a couple years of community college perhaps, or uh, maybe has worked and then is in need of college. But for the man with a college degree already, uh, or uh, has never been in the seminary, or uh, a young man perhaps who graduated uh, with a, a degree in business and then has worked a couple of years, uh, he would not go to um, the McGivney Hall part of our program, but rather would be in the program um, at St. Patrick's Seminary, which is being directed by uh, Father Gary Thomas, who uh, has been a priest uh, of the Diocese of San Jose, but is uh, the director of the program. And we have two of our men uh, from Spokane in their, pro in their appropriate year at, at St. Patrick's. I think, as Father has mentioned, um, why, why this shift? Why did uh, the, the Holy See uh, ask for this, uh, more than ask, uh, essentially say require it? Because um, maybe 40 years ago, if um, or and longer, a young man might be coming out of a Catholic family where he attended Catholic school. His parents went to mass each week. Mom and dad are together. Um, he had he was steeped, uh, especially I would say, uh, in the very Catholic cities of our nation, steeped in a, in a strong Catholic culture, um, and therefore prayer and the sacraments, uh, knowledge, uh, it, it just grew. It was based. Well, now we have uh, many young men who um, maybe have rediscovered the faith, or there might be a, a broken um, situation of marriage. Um, they've gone on a retreat. Uh, maybe they had a little bit. So it's, there's a lot of inconsistency, but it's, it's not just something that was discovered the last few years. I set, served two terms, um, which would be six years on the CCLV Committee of the Bishops' Conference. That's Clergy Consecrated Life and, uh, and Vocations. And we had been receiving directions for the Holy See and going over how to implement this and how this would actually be rolled out, you might say, in, in our seminaries in our country. It's very important that the program we offer be part of an established seminary. And Bishop White has a long um, uh, legacy. Uh, Father uh, Barnett is in his seventh year as, as rector. Um, St. Patrick's is one of the programs um, we have a bishop, the uh, seminary Mount Angel in, in Portland, the Benedictine Monastery. They are beginning to implement a program. The one thing that um, in the discussions of the bishops and with Father Barnett and I and other vocation directors, that this program is, um, it's a treasured opportunity and it should not be done on the cheap. It should not be done um, half-hearted. And by that, I mean, I joke about uh, if a diocese wants to save money, they get a double wide trailer and they uh, get a priest to do part-time work. And then he kind of gets them ready. And then they go into a seminary and it's almost the equivalent of someone who has had um, 
uh, a book given to them on advanced algebra, and they looked at it once a month, and then they sent them in. So we must be very clear, this has to be a quality program with established and proven um, leadership and mentoring. Uh, St. John Vianney Seminary in Denver uh, has had a program for about 20 years, and in many ways, it was a propedeutic year. Um, so they have uh, very much a, a tried and true experience of it. Prior to that, even in the, in the 90s, uh, there was a seminary, um, Mer- uh, Northampton, Pennsylvania, it was Mary Immaculate, I believe it was, of Incension Seminary that the Archdiocese of Seattle, of, uh, the Archdiocese of Philadelphia began to start almost a mini novitiate. It had aspects of this propitiatory gear. It wasn't being called that, but it was a response. I remember reading about this in the early 90s. It was to address that shift that Father Barnett has mentioned about it. Now this has become, um, in a sense, programmed. Uh, it is a response universal church, and we participate here in the local scene, uh, but drawing upon the long-standing experience of seminary personnel, uh, what has been proven in the past, and what the Holy See is asking us to address the current situation to help these men uh, respond to this, this call of priesthood to be shepherds after Christ's own heart. You know, I, this is uh, Tom Kern. I'm with uh, Bishop Daly and Father Barnett. Father Barnett's the rector of Bishop White Seminary. And I do encourage you to go to bishopwhitesem.org. The word bishop is spelt out, bishopwhitesem, S-E-M, dot org. And you can become familiar not only with the program, but about, about this new building purchased for this uh, propedeutic, uh, propedeutic program that's being launched here in the diocese. Um I had the opportunity to go to the seminary on several occasions, and um, Father Barnett, I, I was very moved by the level of devotion, uh, dedication, seriousness uh, of the seminarians that were there. Um, it was very impressive group of, of young men who have chosen to uh, align themselves with this call to the priesthood at Bishop White Seminary, and so. I'm excited about the possibilities that this new building will offer for men to be able to be around other young men. I think that's one of the big challenges is that men who might feel a sense of, you know, could I actually be called to the priesthood? Um, They might feel so isolated and alone. I think that having them be able to be near to men who are a little bit further down the road in their own discernment while being formed in some of these fundamental ways that you're talking about that could be a, a tremendous gift for them. Is that one of the intents here? It is actually. And um, there, see, formation, it, it's not a linear thing. It's not, you don't just become all of a sudden you grow from strength to strength. There's, we all grow up. And sometimes it's, it's like, a, you know, as an adolescent, you know, your feet grow and then your arms grow. <laughs> you get taller and you just you grow at odd paces and intervals. Well, the same thing is true for priestly formation and because grace builds on nature and it takes time and it doesn't, it cannot be uh, cultivated artificially. It, you know, we're dealing with part of one of the elements of our culture is, is really a, a kind of a mechanistic view. I mean, I, I know a lot of people are very familiar with Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, you know, and, and you have this vision. I think he was, rather prescient, you know, when he's looking at Saruman, for example, you know, who's manufacturing everything and he's manufacturing. These First of all, Father Barnett, I just got to say, I love the fact that you're quoting Lord of the Rings here. So keep <laughs> going. This is, this is a big win already. So <laughs> well, it, it's the contrast between manufacturing and, and, um, and production in that sense, by our own efforts and by our own, our own labor, rather Pelagian, you know, it's like, I'll do it myself, just try harder. Um, and, letting something grow and let it develop. And because we have, to, we, there's work to do, absolutely. And it takes discipline and hard work, but it's, it's a response to God's grace and God's grace working in us is really, that's what formation is. It's not manufacturing a seminarian who can be pressed out, you know, boilerplate, like, like a bunch of, you know, tin soldiers that go sally forth. You know, but inside they're like Fabergé eggs and they get, they're all really nice on the outside, but they're brittle and hollow. (laughs) That's not what the church needs. They need real men 
And that happens over time. And it takes, it takes opposition. It takes failure, frankly. We've got to have, it's one of the things I tell the seminarians all the time. If you're not failing often, you're not doing it right. Because if, you're, if you never make a mistake, if you never err, well, then you're probably not challenging yourself or being challenged. And it's okay to make mistakes. And the seminary should be a place where a guy can make mistakes. And, you know, what 18-year-old, what 19-year-old hasn't, what any, any one of us. And sometimes those are pretty um, extravagant, but, you know, some, there's normalcy there. And so we're not talking about uh, criminal behavior. We're talking about uh, persons growing up in, a, in an environment where they can try to be the men that, they're, that God's calling them to be. And so that doesn't happen. You can't do it alone. And then uh, kind of like Bishop said, you know, get somebody in a double wide by the, down by the river and, um, and then, you know, impose them on the parish. That doesn't work. <laughs> One of the things uh, connected with this is um, <clears throat> we're recording this show on the, the feast of um, St. Andrew. And as, as we well know from his life, um, Andrew um, brought his brother Peter to meet Jesus. And um, there is, as you said, Tom, um, when men are studying together, um, there is that um, recognition that discipleship um, it can't be done alone. And um, in this very secular age that uh, uh, creates a sense of um, people determine solely their own destiny, um, the fact that there is someone sharing with uh, another um, the path of discipleship, I think it, it, it's, it's very important for a lived experience. One of, one of the things that the Propodute Year helps develop is generosity. And um, if I was to die tomorrow, I would hope that the, the priests have heard from me, uh, generosity of heart is one of the things I keep stressing um, is very necessary for priesthood. And in this Propodute Year, it helps uh, these men um, focus less. It's not about academics this first year. This It's about the... Um, gifts and the qualities that are needed to be a shepherd, like every good husband and father, and you would know this, Tom, more than uh, Father Barnett or me, uh, a good husband and father loves his wife and his family and makes sacrifices for them. And um, when one makes sacrifices, there it can only come after uh, generosity. And a, kind of an ongoing theme I've had is humble uh, men uh, are grateful men and humble grateful men are generous men. And um, in our society and the way family life is, um, we're looking for empathy. And a big discussion goes back and forth. Can you teach empathy? I think you model empathy and it has to be modeled in the lives of these young men. Well, they're still young enough, God willing, that we can fill in uh, what they may be lacking or what hasn't been given to them. But when it's done as a community, uh, there is a strength from that. And uh, that's why. Um, I believe having this propedeutic year part of a wider seminary community, it's distinct, but it's not in, in total isolation. I think there's a strength to that. And that's the benefit of the program we have at Bishop White. And, uh, and we're calling this McGivney Hall after a blessed Michael McGivney. You know, Bishop, um, I, I've, uh, like, I, I like to ask folks, uh, is, this, is this a moment of greatness after the manner of Pope St. Leo the Great or after the manner of Pope St. Gregory the Great, where Leo was trying to save what could be saved because everything was collapsing in the Roman Empire? Or was it a time of pushing back against the barbarian invasions and going out and evangelizing? And I don't know about um, you, Father, or you, Bishop, but I want this to be a moment of Pope St. Gregory the Great. And for me, this new building, this McGivney Hall, this uh, propedeutic program is, is all about um, the idea of magnificent generosity, of extraordinary stewardship that we can all participate in and participate in by forming a generation of mission-minded missionary disciples who are discerning the priesthood and will do so with that sense of humility and generosity. And so um, I love this. And, and I, for me, one of the questions that I have is, 
you um, you have discerned and are taking the steps to say, we're buying this building and we are launching forward. Well, this is a we. And so how do the listeners of this program get involved? Of course, we can pray, but give us some concrete ways to get involved in this new aspect of forming um, extravagant missionaries for a time of um, really enormous challenges facing the church today. I'd like to propose another great, and that's John Paul the Great. And because I think he takes up in elements of Leo and Gregory. And one of the things that I've, you know, along while Leo was being Pope and um, he, he was, that was about the time of just before St. Benedict. And um, obviously St. Benedict had a tremendous um, influence on the saving of the, of the Western of, of culture. And Gregory himself was a monk before he was Pope. Um, I've, I've always said, and I, I firmly believe that what Gregory, what Benedict was for the fifth century, the parishes are for the 21st. And that the, the Benedict option that goes around, I think is, is wrong. I think it's the parish option. And therefore I think parish priests are really at the heart of this. And John Paul the Great really articulates that well, especially in his document on on January 6, 2001, uh, Novo Millennium Iniunte, on the beginning of the new millennium, when he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. That's, in my mind, that's always been kind of like the guiding light of, of parish ministry for me. And do that under the guidance of Our Lady, especially Our, Our Lady of Guadalupe, in this, you know, and the, the so, Father Barnett, I'm going to say this, that uh, I just teed you up to ask for money. Okay, come on. Right. Well, <laughs> Bishop, I'm going to turn it to you and well, say, I, I will, how I, can we help you? <laughs> yes. No, that, again, before I arrived as bishop, the people of Eastern Washington generously, in the midst of bankruptcy, led by Father Connell, and um, built Bishop White Seminary. This is a chance, again, uh, post-pandemic. Um, uh, or in the, you might, some would say, in the midst of uh, various phases of the pandemic, to respond to what is needed today. Father Barnett and I uh, took back and forth. There were opportunity for more property. In the midst of it, I always said, uh, if it's of God, um, we will have what we need. And we needed one building. And uh, that's what we have. Now, just as in the past, um, people came forward, that's what I'm asking. I think uh, perhaps uh, Father Barnett is too polite, but uh, I'll be very direct. Um, my prayer each day, multiple times each day, is that the people of Eastern Washington and our diocese, and well as the dioceses that support uh, Bishop White, will have the shepherds for the next generation to care for the people, to help them come to know a God who loves them. We need seminaries. We need solid seminaries. And um, we have one with Bishop White. And so I'm asking uh, as the bishop that the people of Eastern Washington, the Knights of Columbus, uh, the people in the pew, uh, those with a bit more uh, resources generously support the purchase, the renovation, and the implementation of this. Um, again, uh, we don't ask, as we say, equal gift, but equal sacrifice. And um, yes, how can people help? Prayerful generosity. And um, and there are people there uh, who have, they like the plan, they like the vision. My, my experience uh, as a bishop has been the people who support our parish schools, the people who support seminaries and priestly formation are the people in the pew. They don't get caught up in um, the latest uh, agenda issues. They worry about, will someone be there to provide the sacraments for my children and grandchildren. So I'm asking the faithful to do that, to see this as a great gift you can give, not only to the local church, but the church of the West, and most especially uh, for the salvation of souls, the call to holiness. You know, the, the bishopwhitestem.org has information, but including on how to give. Breaking it down, our campaign has three main parts. We need to pay off the building. We need to renovate it. 
and we need to prepare for the program itself. That would be hiring a, a priest and being able to pay for the ongoing expenses. Um, we anticipate having 15 men eventually, but that's not gonna be where we start. And right now what we've got is a building that's a 1952 convent that is, uh, I think built in 1952 for the big one. It's all cement and there's a good amount of asbestos in there and we need to abate it and, um, and bring up the electric to code and the heating to code and make it simple without making it rustic. Um, you know, it's not gonna be uh, extravagant, but to make it a solid building that will house this program. Um, so the total cost of the program, the campaign is 3.6 million is what we're um, looking for. We're about 1.2 million in pledges and, and donations so far. And we're really appealing to, like Bishop said, the people of God to, to help and support us, not just here in the Diocese of Spokane, but throughout, because we serve nine dioceses and archdioceses throughout the West, from uh, Fairbanks, Seattle, Spokane, Boise, Portland, Baker, Orange, San Francisco, and uh, Oakland. And uh, there might be others in the future. So um, this is a, a time for us to step up and, and really, we stepped out on October 7th, our Lady of the Rosary and, and sign the documents. We've been doing this at every stage guided by Our Lady and um, um, this is for the church and I think it will happen. And uh, just, <clears throat> again, we're calling Blessed Michael McGivney and uh, asking for his intercession, uh, that priest from Connecticut who uh, founded the Knights of Columbus. The chapel uh, is uh, going to be the St. Vincent de Paul Chapel. Again, most people think of St. Vincent Paul, they think of St. Vincent Paul Society, Outreach to the Poor. But what I have really, um, growing up, uh, having been taught by the Daughters of Charity, St. Vincent Paul, for me, St. Vincent becomes um, not only the great apostle of charity, but the, um, the great reformer. Uh, he uh, helped implement uh, the Council of Trent's documents on priestly formation, if they didn't use the term then. He did it for priests already uh, ordained, the Tuesday conferences, and through the formation of seminaries. So that's why this building is, uh, why I asked for the intercession of St. Vincent de Paul, is that he will help us implement um, the new directives of the Holy See. And knowing that, <clears throat> as the great line he had said, we can do nothing uh, greater for the church than the making of good priests. We're not looking for uh, the dramatic priest or the, um, the one who seems to be, think of himself as the greatest gift to the church, but good priests, holy priests, humble priests, men who care about um, um, the, the people God has entrusted to them. So um, again, that's, uh, I, I would hope that uh, the, our listening audience and, and those that you know, Tom, would um, see this as <clears throat> something that they can be a part of and they can help us uh, do what is so important to pastor God's people, not just for, for this decade, for the years to come. No, Bishop Daly, I have one more question, if that's okay. I want um, to draw a line between your recent Bishop's Conference, where you um, voted on and approved a document, the mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church. And <clears throat> speaking as a layperson, um, for me, the, the gift of the priesthood is that it brings heaven to earth. It brings the life of God to us. It, it gathers us together uh, around the altar to worship God and to receive the very life of Jesus Christ as Eucharist. And that means priesthood. And um, the idea that the Diocese of Spokane, that led by you, Bishop Daly, and you, Father Barnett, as the rector of Bishop White Seminary, are investing um, more fully in the formation of young men to be able to appreciate and respond to the, the call and the gift of the priesthood that brings the Eucharist to us. I mean, my brothers and sisters, you're listening to this. It's like, can we appreciate the gift of the Eucharist more since COVID has hit us and the limitations that we've had to experience in the past 18, 19 months? 
the the gift that the Eucharist, the sacred liturgy is, and being able to gather together, that means priests. That means priests who are, again, willing to step up, stand up, and be our shepherds. And so, uh, Bishop Daly, as as you were together with the bishops, um, dialoguing and discussing and then approving this mystery of the Eucharist and the life of the church, fostering a greater sense of fervent belief in the Eucharist and priests who will be the, um, the ones who bring the Eucharist to us. Um, how does that connect to this great work that you're doing in launching this uh, propodeutic program at um, this McGivney building? I think, uh, as you said, that when the bishops uh, discussed uh, the document we voted on, on the Eucharist, um, as you would know, and many of our listeners probably know, knew that in, in the summer meeting, there was a lot of um, uh, open and very pointed uh, comments made. I myself spoke. I, I don't speak frequently at the bishops' meeting, but this time uh, I did, because the Eucharist um, is the mass, the, the source and summit of our faith. And um, when Jesus said, know that I'm with you to the end of the age, of course, we know he gave us the Holy Spirit, but he's present in the Eucharist. And um, I, had a, I had a dinner, uh, retired people who support Trinity School, one of our Catholic grammar schools here in Spokane, uh, had dinner with me. And um, it was post-dinner conversation. And there was uh, there were three retired nurses uh, there. And one of them said, uh, I believe originally from Ireland, she said, Bishop, if the pandemic continues, please don't let the government take the mass away from us again. And I think that statement of faith combined with reiterating what the Eucharist is um, and why we have to make sure that those who hold teachings fundamentally opposed to the church, and that would include elected officials and um, educational institutions and healthcare and social services. When we profess to be a disciple and a follower of Christ, and we are presenting ourselves for this great gift of himself in the Eucharist, and we need priests for that. Without priests, there won't be a Eucharist. And um, we, the, this is truly uh, a gift from Jesus Christ. And when we um, don't plan, when we don't respond to what Jesus said, beg the harvest master, and I would put this project in the begging of the, the, the master of the harvest, Jesus Christ, then we have failed in what um, the Lord has asked us to do. I also ask, because we're blessed in this diocese to be under the patronage of Our Lady of Lords, that we... Uh, take the wedding feast at Cana in Galilee. And essentially we look to Mary saying to our blessed mother, uh, we have no seminarians. We have no more priests. We have no more uh, donors. Um, and she's asking us that great image of our blessed mother in, in, in Paris at the mother house, of the daughters of charity, St. Vincent Paul, the Rue the rays that come from Mary's hands when Catherine asks Mary, um, what are those? And she said, those are the graces that God gives to those who ask. But the image was that of gray or light, uh, not gold rays. Mary, uh, Catherine Labore asked Mary, what are those? Those are the graces that God wants to give, but people don't ask for them. So I think as the bishop, uh, Father Barnett, as the rector of the seminary, we are entrusted as shepherds to ask for uh, the harvest master to send more laborers, to ask for Mary's intercession, and to ask the people of God in this part of the country to pray and to be generous so that we can do what the church needs, and that is to form men after Christ's own heart, shepherds, priests. I would add to that, if I could, uh, briefly, <clears throat> something that people might not recognize, and that is here at Bishop White, our faculty members are all priests of the diocese and they're all volunteer and these men have and they've always been volunteer for 60 years they've been volunteering and forming these men in addition to all their parish duties they're sacrificing a lot and they're already doing that and have been silently quietly and they don't ask for anything other than 
just the opportunity. And it's not just for Spokane, it's for the dioceses throughout the West. And they do that generously and they, they deserve a lot of credit. But, you know, I think I've met a lot of people that are scared. They're not sure what's going on. They think the world is going crazy and, and they, think they think they're right. And, um, but, that, but they get kind of immobilized. And this is not the time to be immobilized. We need to step up and with courage and say, look, we're stepping forward. God is providing an opportunity. He will lead us through this. We need to get out of the boat and start walking <laughs> on the water. And so that's, that's what we can do. So I do encourage you all to go to bishopwhitesem.org, bishopwhitesem, S-E-M, as in seminary.org, to learn about the new building that the Diocese of Spokane has purchased for their Pupadudic program. Bishop Daly, would you uh, please give you a final word here and offer us a blessing as we finish up our time? Again, thank you, Tom, for this opportunity to uh, to speak to the uh, to the listening audience about this great need. And again, in the season of Advent, um, in which we are just in the first week, it is a time of prayerful anticipation. But much like Mary, who, when asked to be um, the mother of our Lord, frequently we reflect on her treasuring all these things in her heart. So this is a time for uh, prayerful reflection and pondering. And whenever we, um, we uh, ask the Lord and seek him with a sincere heart, he's always there for us. So with that, I would uh, encourage and, and express my gratitude um, to Father Barnett, uh, Father Barraza, the vice rector, Father John Murphy, uh, Jesuit in charge of spiritual life at, um, at our seminary, and ask the, those of you here uh, to pray. And, and I would ask, especially in during this season, to pray for those young men who are a bit nervous, uh, unsure, feel unworthy, afraid that they um, trust as Mary did. Uh, it is so important. And as I, I tell them many times, the Lord will give what it is you lack. I know that from my own life. And so with that, we'll pray in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Loving Father, in this endeavor of proclaiming the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, we do so always seeking grace and strength, knowing the martyrs and the saints who've gone before us, we do so asking for that same strength to persevere. We pray for the people of God in the West to be generous in their prayers and in their resources, that we may fulfill this serious obligation to help guide men in the propodewic year. May they respond generously so that this building may be purchased, remodeled, and the program implemented. And as we do so, we give you thanks for this opportunity to share in the proclamation of the gospel here and in the West. And we make this prayer, as always, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. That's uh, Bishop Thomas Daly and Father uh, Daniel Barnett uh, joining me today on Sound Insight. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Bishop, for being with me. Thank you. Welcome back to Sound Insight. Wasn't that a great interview? For me, it, it just, again, it gives me that great sense of hope, that um, hope, Advent's a season of hope, right? Advent's a season of hope that um, the Lord is at work and he is about a great work. He is doing a great work. His kingdom breaking into our lives. It's a great work. And yet he works in us and through us. Jesus Christ comes alive in us and cleanses and sanctifies and moves through us. You know, I, um, I've i been listening to some Reformed theology recently to understand better, since my kids go to the Oaks, and occasionally they'll be reading texts that come from the Reformers regarding the concept of salvation and justification, being saved by grace through faith. And um, it is so interesting um, how... Uh, fundamentally different, a Catholic approach to salvation and um, and sanctification is. Um, and one of the, the biggest ways that I would put it, one of the like most decisive ways that I'd identify it, is in the concept of the reality of Christ coming alive in us 
and being the living Lord at work through us in the world. The gift we have of the Eucharist, this great gift of the Eucharist is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the living Lord Jesus who comes to be consumed by us because of his consuming love for us. And he transforms us into himself. He doesn't just cover us, impute righteousness to us. No, he makes of us the very righteousness of God. He transforms us so that we are holy, not just look holy or covered by holiness, but we become holy. And we're called to become holy in every aspect of our conduct, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 1. And I just find that so liberating and so powerful, and yet um, such a challenge. It's like, let's not settle for less in that challenge. Well, when it comes to appreciating the gift of the Eucharist, we have fallen so far short as a generation. We have lost faith in the Eucharist. The casual way that we celebrate Mass, our casual approach to the celebration of the holy sacrifice of the Mass, the sacred liturgy, the way in which we uh, uh, act, our attitude, how we look at the gift of Christ present in the Eucharist, how we ignore and avoid Christ, how we are so unmoved by people coming forward to receive Holy Communion in unworthy ways. Well, that leads me to this act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I was going to pray it yesterday. I said I'd pray it today. And it's fitting because of the comments that Bishop Daly said uh, towards the end of the interview about the need for uh, living a life that's worthy of the gift that we're receiving and, and how that's something that we ought to uh, keep in mind about. So as members of the body of Christ, as members of the body of Christ, we can make acts of reparation for the way that we as a church have been treating Jesus, treating this great gift of his presence in the Eucharist. So I'm going to read this act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O sweet Jesus, whose overflowing charity for men is requited by so much forgetfulness, negligence, and contempt, behold us prostrate before your altar, eager to repair by a special act of homage the cruel indifference and injuries to which your loving heart is everywhere subject. Mindful as well that we ourselves have had a share in such great indignities, which we now deplore from the depths of our hearts, we humbly ask your pardon and declare our readiness to atone by voluntary expiation, not only for our own personal offenses, but also for the sins of those who, straying far from the path of salvation, refuse in their obstinate infidelity to follow you, their shepherd and leader, or, renouncing the vows of their baptism, have cast off the sweet yoke of thy law. We are now resolved to expiate each and every deplorable outrage committed against thee, we are determined to make amends for the manifold offenses against Christian modesty in unbecoming dress and behavior, for all the foul seductions laid to ensnare the feet of the innocent, for the frequent violation of Sundays and holy days, and the shocking blasphemies uttered against thee and thy saints. We wish also to make amends for the insults to which thy vicar on earth and thy priests are subjected. For the profanation by conscious neglect or terrible acts of sacrilege of the very sacrament of your divine love, and lastly for the public crimes of nations who resist the rights and the teaching authority of the church which you have founded. Would, O divine Jesus, we were able to wash away such abominations with our blood, we now offer in reparation for these violations of thy divine honor and satisfaction you did once make to your eternal Father on the cross and which you do continue to renew daily on our altars. We offer it in union with the acts of atonement of your Virgin Mother and all the saints and of the pious faithful on earth. 
and we sincerely promise to make recompense as far as we can with the help of your grace for all neglect of your great love and for the sins we and others have committed in the past. Henceforth, from now on, we will live a life of unwavering faith, of purity of conduct, of perfect observance of your precepts, of the gospel, and especially that of charity. We promise to the best of our power to prevent others from offending you and to bring as many as possible to follow you. O loving Jesus, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, our model in reparation, deign to receive the voluntary offering we make of this act of expiation. And by the crowning gift of perseverance, keep us faithful unto death in our duty and the allegiance we owe to you so that we may all one day come to that happy home where, where you with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign, God, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's one of those big prayers. I mean, really, that is a big prayer, this act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm reading it in the Roman Catholic Daily Missal of 1962, it's the missile that you'll use if you go to a traditional Latin Mass. And they have a, a number of these traditional prayers uh, that are incredibly powerful. And here's the challenge, again, of one of these prayers, this act of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, is that in praying it, I, I hope, even you, you hearing it, you'd be taken aback a little bit. Like, a little bit like, oh my goodness, did I just really say or mean what I just said? Am I really going to make up for the not only my own personal offenses, but for the sins of those who refuse to follow you? And, and, on, and for all of these different um, uh, manifold offenses that, that are in all these different dimensions of life, especially when it comes to the Eucharist, the sacraments, to the church itself, to the priests. It's like, this is a big prayer. You pray this prayer, your life will be changed. Or you pray this prayer and you'll change how you relate to the prayer. It's, it's like you can't keep praying this prayer and consciously, intentionally like think about what it means and say, I intend that to be real in my life. I do really mean that. And not have your life be changed. I mean, this is all about fasting, self-denial, uh, voluntary acts of undergoing suffering. I mean, it's just like incredible prayer here. And so either we'll become numb to it and just say it over and over and not really pause to think about what we really mean. Or we won't say it because we'll end up saying, I don't want that. <laughs> like, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I said it once on the air, but boy, I, I don't really think I want to pray that prayer right now. There are a lot of prayers like that, like the litany of humility. Some people swear by it. I'm like, I don't know if I really want to pray that prayer. I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a major league prayer. And so in praying big prayers like this, especially ones that the church and her tradition passes down to us, pray those prayers and pray for the grace to become the prayer rather than to like become numb to it or to avoid it. So, all right, I'm up against the end of my program. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.